from the Mercy One Studio. Welcome, folks, to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Every week, diving deep into the truth of Catholic social teaching and restoring all things in Christ. The Uncommon Good is on the air. I'm Bo Bonner. I'm Dr. Uh-oh. You there, bud? I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, we're already having uh, interesting issues at the very top of the show. <laughs> that's maybe that's a good omen, like raining on your wedding day or whatever. <laughs> I'm saying that in a in a, you know, Alanis Morissette put out new music, bud. So I'm just trying to to be nice there. This oh, is nice, the uncommon very- good. Yeah, uh, I'm Bo Bonner, Doctor Bud Mark, coming to you through Iowa Catholic Radio. I'm over here in Des Moines, where I'm the director of mission and ministry at Mercy College of Health Sciences. The director of the Zed Institute. You can look us up at mchs.edu. Bud is out there in Pittsburgh. Bud, what do you do out there? The director of the National Institute for Newman Studies. Our website is newmanstudies.org. So, uh, Bud, I don't know what life is like uh, out where you are. We've had an unseasonably wonderful, uh, nice, cool spell for the beginning of August. Uh, if that's been the case, is it sweltering hot? in pittsburgh like can you guys cook french fries out on your sidewalks (laughs) no we're getting some cool weather in fact i woke up and uh i was in the mood for some football there was a little bit of a little bit of nip in the air and uh the big 10 released our potential schedule lord willing and the creek don't rise or the virus just knock it over yeah well, uh, yeah, the, the trying to figure out sports, you know, we were, uh, every time we talk about baseball, like the next week we have to make amendments, you know, the last time we talked about, um, that you maybe would have two teams in Pittsburgh and then that was canceled. And then when we were making a lot of fun of the Marlins last week and now our St. Louis Cardinals, uh, had to delay games because of, uh, COVID tests. Um, yeah. but I think, uh, one lesson is if you're getting paid millions of dollars to play baseball, you should probably wait to play at a casino maybe when the season's not on. <laughs> no, it's so crazy. I mean, I understand, uh, you know, I think everyone's a little stir crazy at this point and, you know, trying to balance that whole thing about being cautious, but also, you know, like continuing to live life. <laughs> uh, one baseball team went to a club uh, out of town and then another to a casino. And if you do that, you're pretty much just asking for it to be shut down. I mean, I, I have to admit not to make any judgments on anyone. It's been a good while since I've been to a club or a casino. So uh, maybe uh, entrenched here in, you know, the life of family and radio shows, but we don't understand, uh, you know, the, the, the grind of a baseball season that's been going Oh, that's right. Three games at this point. Three games, and you have to <laughs> go, go blow off steam. Uh, well, it's like you know, buy a case, buy a case of poker chips, and you know, get like a team game going in the hotel. Or something. That's right, and you know, we we need to when when all things work out, uh, we need to have an Iowa Catholic Radio poker tournament so that we can eat uh, win easy money from John Leonetti and Joe Stopulus. Uh Speaking of not easy money, but good money you can spend, as always, we're underwritten by Mercy College of Health Sciences, mchs.edu. Uh, the, the education that can get you prepared to enter into the workforce for health sciences, 
of course, um, an industry begging for good people to be a part of it now. Very proud of our students and the people who have been soldiering on through the COVID crisis and making these things work. MCHS.edu, thank you, Mercy College, for underwriting our show. Yeah, looking forward to the fall semester getting underway. Whenever you're on that tri-semester schedule, the coursework comes pretty pretty fast at you. So um, I hope the faculty there are able to squeeze in a little bit of relaxation. But uh, uh, if you're interested, like Joe said, mchs.edu. Life comes at you fast. I like that. That uh, That's probably a motto that you shouldn't like up front tell your uh, students, but maybe by the time they've graduated and uh, they get into the nursing and allied health fields, life comes at you fast. Um, it could also just be the motto of 2020. So uh, speaking of 2020, uh, we've actually had, um, if you look out at, at Catholic publishing, there's been a few books um, written about not only the Pope, but... Um, the next Pope, the coming Pope, what the idea of like, what, what do we have in store for us? Um, so on the show today, we have uh, Edward Pinton, who is a journalist, Rome correspondent, but also um, an author of the book, The Next Pope. And particularly this book, I think is an interesting um, way to, to look at this idea about what the future might hold about the governance of the Cardinals and things like this. So it's not just, a, in fact, I would say it's not a book of speculation much at all. Um, the book really gets into this idea about what do we mean when we talk about not only the next pope, but the cardinal electors and sort of the history and uh, architecture of how that works. Uh, but we're going to have uh, Edward Pinton uh, coming on the show here after the break, and we're looking forward to getting to talk to him about all this, bud. Yeah, I think sometimes when folks see this sort of thing out, they, they say like, well, you know, our Catholics may be like a little too worried about, you know, the kind of like church minutiae. The College of Cardinals seems like this sort of like medieval uh, practice that, you know, it's just kind of like an eccentric Catholic thing. But I think Penton makes the point, we'll talk about it some on the show. This is a really important role that that the Pope is the Ministry of Unity, pastor of the Universal Flock. And so it's only natural and I think appropriate that Catholics would care about this in a proper sort of way, but also be praying that God would guide his church, you know, through these difficult times. So that's what we have lined up today, folks. Uh, we're going to have Bud and I are going to talk to uh, Edward Pinton about his new book, The Next Pope. Um, not only about the possible popes coming up, but the cardinals, the cardinal electors, the process, the history, and the way that this plays into the common good, not only the election of the pope, um, but information in the Catholic Church and about what um, this knowledge being widely spread has to do with the common good. This is the Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr, and we'll be back right after these messages. Folks, if you have a comment for the Uncommon Good or Iowa Catholic Radio in general, it's easy to leave us a message. Just use the zip whip line. 515-223-1150. 515-223-1150, the zip whip line. It's your easy text-based way to leave messages for the show, for the station, anything that you would like to ask any of our guests, anything you'd like us to address on air suggestions you might have, just a good way to keep up, especially during this time when we're socially distanced, the Zip Whip Line. 515-223-1150. 515-223-1150. Again, if you have any questions, not only about us on the Uncommon Good, in which you can leave hashtag UCG to make sure that we'll get a chance to look at them, uh, but the show in general, uh, the station in general, what we're up to, if you have specific questions for the management, anything like that, We'd love you to use it. This is The Uncommon Good, and we'll be back right after this. 
Did you know you have a choice in your child's education? Smaller class sizes, dedicated teachers, a sense of community, and a caring learning environment, whether it's in the classroom or at home. Diocese of Des Moines Catholic Schools deliver the best value in education, and we offer tuition assistance to help you afford it. Learn more about how the Catholic schools in the Des Moines Diocese might be the right choice for your child. Visit dmdiocese.org schools. Need an experienced attorney for legal matters? I know a guy. Stephen C. Reed, attorney at law, is a proud supporter of Iowa Catholic Radio. Steve is a longtime resident of Iowa and is licensed to practice in all Iowa state and federal courts. He has years of experience in real estate law, wills, conservatorships, trusts, and estate planning. Steve's law office phone number is 515-224-1776. That's 515-224-1776. Thank you to Mercy College of Health Sciences, downtown Des Moines, for underwriting our show, The Uncommon Good, with me, Bo Bonner. And I'm Bud Marr. A degree from Mercy College provides endless possibilities. Students have access to patients with complex medical conditions, state-of-the-art medical facilities, highly motivated healthcare professionals, and classroom professors that transform them into servant leaders. You can start the programs in fall, spring, or summer. There are endless possibilities available online at mchs.edu slash kwky. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Faith on Trial provided by Paul Martin and Paul Mitchell, owners of Imogene Ingredients. Imogene Ingredients supply specialized feed ingredients for livestock and pet diets to improve maternal and young animal health in both conventional and organic production. Information about Pharmatan and other products at ImogeneIngredients.com. Paul and Paul are members of St. Augustine's Knights of Columbus and encourage their brother knights to keep standing for their faith. We're back with the Uncommon Good. Bob Bonner and Dr. Bud Mark joining you this Wednesday. Thank you, Iowa Catholic Radio, for making uh, this show possible, making it for people can hear not only everywhere in Iowa when we broadcast it in Oklahoma, but also on the Iowa Catholic Radio app and on iowacatholicradio.com. Thank you for tuning in to the show. On today's show, we have as a guest Edward Penton. He began reporting on the Pope and the Vatican with Vatican Radio before moving on to become the Rome correspondent for National Catholic Register. He's also reported on the Holy See and the Catholic Church for a number of other publications, Newsweek, Newsmax, Xenix, Carth the Herald, Holy Land Review. We're having him on the show because he's the author of the book, The Next Pope, and we are excited to have him on to talk about his book. Edward, thank you for coming on the show. Well, thanks. Good time. Thanks for having me on. So um, before we really dive into specific questions about the book, I think it's interesting to point out that um, the, the book itself is the work of many hands uh, that you have sort of um, molded into a way for, for people to appropriate this information, look into it. You, of course, uh, wrote the introduction, but then, as you say, uh, you sort of uh, have collated a, a lot of different work about the different cardinals. Um, for the people listening, if you don't mind, do you want to talk about that, how the book came about and really how it is uh, uh, the work of a team um, trying to help out uh, the faithful in this regard? Sure. Well, the idea for it came about a few years ago, uh, where a group of people uh, thought there was a need for um, a book of this kind, really to equip the cardinals, the College of Cardinals, so they know who to vote for going into a conclave. Often in the past, uh, they've complained that they don't have enough information, or it's all rather confusing uh, about who to vote for in a conclave. And so this book really aimed to 
to put that right. It's supposed to be aimed primarily at the cardinals, but also at the faithful, because um, it's also uh, very much an educational resource as well, and even a catechetical resource. So um, we wanted both those things to be um, part of it. Those are the both, both the main reasons for it. Uh, and then it took place over a number of years, um, and we involved uh, 14 researchers, I think, from different parts of the world uh, to to undertake the research into these uh, various cardinals who come from acro- all across the world as well. Um, and so it's very much uh, an in-depth, uh, really kind of scholarly book rather than a, a journalistic one. And we try to, uh, well, we make sure that every every uh, part of it is referenced with footnotes and uh, and well-documented research. Ed, this is Bud Marr. I very much enjoyed the book. Um, I know you've, I've seen you filled this question in some other contexts, but I think it'll be instructive for our listeners as well. Uh, you know, sometimes I think uh, when a Catholic might see a book like this at the store or whatnot, they may think like, is it bad form to speculate on the future Pope while another Pope is still alive and healthy? And I, I think mm-hmm. like you've really answered that question well uh, with other interviewers. I was wondering if you could kind of rehash some of that for our audience, because I think it gets at the uh, purpose, uh, the central purpose for your work. Yes, of course. Yes. Well, we, we don't want this in any way to be a sort of bad taste. I know it can be seen that way when you've got a pope still living, but it's primarily a practical issue because when a conclave happens, it's often announced uh, very quickly, unexpectedly, and then it happens within a month. And so there's no time in that time to, to do a sort of thorough research of the cardinal candidates. And so we thought we should do this um, beforehand uh, of course, we never know when a conclave will happen. And so this really anticipates uh, the the unpredictableness of a conclave um, and so that the cardinals can be prepared in time if there's one in the next uh, year or two. Uh, and as as some analysts have pointed out, um, you know, when, when Pope Francis was elected, there was some speculation about how long his papacy would last. And whenever, I think whenever yeah. a pope is elected, you know, folks kind of try to read the tea leaves and say, like, why did the college elect this person? And with Francis, you know, he was he was upwards in age. And so there was some idea that maybe like there wasn't a desire for a terribly long pontificate. Now, it has ended up mm. being longer. And so at this point, Francis has appointed something like 65 percent of the existing College of Cardinals. Given that fact, do you think um it's likely for the next Pope to be sort of a continuation of his um, pastoral plan? Or is that sort of, I mean, when we step into a conclave, I guess uh, there have been wild cards, so you never know exactly how things are going to go, right? (laughs) That's right. Yes. No, it is a very unpredictable thing. And um, even though he's chosen, as you say, the majority of the cardinals in the sacred college, uh, cardinal electors, there's no guarantee that they will vote uh, according to his, kind of direction, and that's been shown in the past. In fact, I mean, after Pius XII, you had John the XXIII, uh, who was quite different, and then uh, and then Paul VI, of course, who was quite different to Pius XII, and of course he was chosen, uh, appointed by Pius. So so you, there's no real ga- hard and fast rule. You can't really guarantee that. Um, but it, on the other hand, it is, it is often, uh, it can be said to be quite likely that um, they will follow his his direction because they were appointed by him, so they feel they owe him something, or they feel that they should uh, continue along his line just out of loyalty. Um, but um, but I don't know if that's going to be the case in this in this uh, next 
conclave whenever it happens. Um, I think there has been uh, a willingness among some in the college to to move things perhaps back towards um, the more centre rather than the left or towards the more conservative side than the progressive side. So um, we'll have to see. But I think, um, as I said, there's no real guarantee from the college, just looking at the college, where, where they're going to vote. One of the most fascinating parts of the book, I mean, on one hand, it's like you said, there's there's all these entries and all this research done throughout the world about people currently living. But you do such a wonderful job in the introduction, not only explaining what the different cardinals are, the process of, uh, of electing a pope, um, but even the idea of the history of people's knowledge and input when it comes to electing a pope. Um, I just wonder if for the, the listeners, you, you can talk about that research and if that for you brought anything either uh, to light or if there was anything in, in looking through that history that, that gave you a new perspective on what's going on now in the church, where maybe we think uh, because of things like the internet, we're hyper-political and uh, overly obsessed with knowledge of uh, who would the next pope be. It seems to me your introduction uh, maybe can make us feel like there really isn't too much new under the sun, and, and some of these speculations have been going on for a long time. Yes. Well, in fact, I mean, this, this process of, of analyzing and giving a thorough um, research into the intercardinals actually goes back to the Middle Ages when there were very unreliable uh, rumors that used to circulate. And then they'd actually assign, uh, people would assign diplomats, diplomats and, uh, and people who were well known to, to be uh, respected writers and so forth uh, to, to do actually look into uh, the cardinals and, and do a thorough research into them. And so that's, it's a long process of going back um, to that time when they used to do that. And, and uh, this, is, uh, this is supposed to be kind of in that way, uh, in that mold. These, these researchers are all very um, capable and, and scholarly. Some of them are professors. So it's, it's that sort of, uh, that sort of uh, pattern that, that used to happen in the past. Now, um, what is quite interesting, as you say in that introduction, is that uh, there isn't this isn't, you know, these these things have been done before. The the we go through the 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 elements needed for a pope and the fact that you need to have a saintly pope. Um, that's what they're looking for: someone who's got a reputation for sanctity, um, someone who's uh, obviously got a, a reputation for unity, uh, somebody who's going to pick uh, the right people, someone who's going to pick people with virtue, and uh, someone who, people who are reliable in the College of Cardinals and so forth. Um, but also, it's interesting, there's a quote from St. Robert Bellamine here, the Jesuit from the 17th century, and he said, uh, seeing that the great virtue necessary for man to be a good and holy pontiff, um, looking at all the qualities necessary, he, he noticed that in 1605, he could not think of a single candidate who was suited to become the Bishop of Rome. Um, so, you know, even when you, <laughs> even going back then, uh, they didn't, uh, they couldn't find appropriate candidates. And often, that does seem to be get to be the case. It's such a obviously it's such a difficult job. You're never going to get the perfect candidate, um, but at least you can hopefully get close to it. And I hope this book uh, shows those candidates who who actually do come close to being uh, to having what it takes to become pope. That puts the Holy Spirit in a tough position if there's not a single good candidate. But that that raises a, a theological point as well, um, and, and having to do with uh, some some Catholics sometimes ask, you know, does the Holy Spirit guide the process? And certainly, as 
devout Catholics, we'd like to believe so. But then how to how in light of that fact do we explain, you know, sort of some of the bad popes in history? You have an interesting section on that uh, question in the introduction. Could you say some about the Holy Spirit's role or how we understand the Holy Spirit's role in the governance of the church yes. and specifically having to do with electing the Pope? Sure. Well, it's often a, a bit of a fallacy that the Pope, that the Holy Spirit chooses the Pope. That's not strictly true. Um, in fact, Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger said um, that it's it's not. He 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 disagreed with that. That the Holy Spirit uh, picks a Pope. He said that the Spirit um, uh, is rather like a good educator. It leaves us much space, much freedom, without entirely abandoning us. Is what he said. Um, so he said the roles, the Spirit of the Holy Spirit's role should be understood, uh, he says, in a more elastic sense. And by that, he means that it, um, it, the only assurance it offers, he says, um, uh, it, it lets, us, lets the cardinals choose the candidates, but the only assurance it offers is that uh, the whole process cannot be totally ruined. And that's, um, that's perhaps the only assurance the Holy Spirit can give, but apart from uh, giving guidance, but not actually instructing the cardinals on how to vote. No, I think that, uh, that that's an interesting um, <laughs> it's an interesting rumination on how the Holy Spirit works in all of our lives. Um, I don't know how you would l- turn that into a nice Latin phrase, like the Holy Spirit loves you, but he's not going to choose everything for you, but he won't let you ruin the right. whole thing. I like that idea. Um, right. I guess that that starts to be exactly the sort of thing we would ask uh, the lay faithful, for instance, if... if if it's not a matter of, you know, the choice of a pope is an oracle from God, when we find everybody interested in this, um, there's obviously the, the human aspect of we're just curious and there's this important position and we wonder who's in it. But as faithful people, mm. um, h- how are we supposed to approach um, this information? And, and what, what, what in your research has, has proven to be a good way to approach um, Pope watching and Cardinal watching as it is. Well, I mean, I feel that this book is, as well as I said earlier, educational and catechetical and hopefully instructive in the faith. I think it is also um, helpful in, in a conclave. It'll, it'll help uh, the faithful to know who to pray for, how much to pray for, what sort of things um, they should perhaps pray for in a Pope um, and of course, you know, prayer is very important and very powerful. And so that's the, that's the role that the laity can have. We don't have a vote, of course, but we can at least uh, pray uh, that the right candidate is chosen uh, best suited to our times. And so this book, as I think, is helpful in that way. I think the Holy Spirit, as, as we were saying earlier, uh, you know, it, it doesn't now operate in a vacuum, but it obviously relies on our co-op. He obviously relies on our cooperation. And so, um, if we can cooperate through prayer, I think that's that's a very important thing too. So, so that's that's what I hope this book will, will do as well. Edward, as um, someone who's um, you know really an international correspondent, you have you spend a lot of time in Rome and in other places. I I, I think you probably bring a different perspective to some of these questions than maybe what we're used to in America. And you know, as an American Catholic, I I. I love our community here, and there's, I think, a lot of great strengths. I would say, to put it delicately, we're sort of a uh, rambunctious bunch of Catholics. And so um, I think there's a tendency, uh, maybe especially like in the blogosphere or online, 
for American Catholics to read church affairs and to read the question of like who the next Pope will be really through kind of like this left, right divisive kind of paradigm that we bring to those questions. I would guess that when you talk about the Catholic church as an international body that, you know, certainly like the Cardinals who make up the, who who will be participating in the conclave, they're probably going to approach church and world affairs with maybe like a little different lens than that real strict uh, left, right paradigm. Would you say, you know, it's, it's maybe a little bit misguided and sometimes um, not the best way to always read international church affairs through like the specificity of maybe whatever country we come from. Yes, I think that's true. And I've, in fact, on the register, we try to avoid, we do avoid using the words sort of conservative and liberal and, and those sort of things because uh, they're not particularly helpful. Um, on the other hand, I think you do get a sense from this book, uh, from the various uh, issues that, that we list and where they stand on these issues, um, where they are. And I would put it more perhaps whether they're, they're orthodox leaning or more heterodox leaning. And I think that's perhaps a better indication um, of of where they stand. And I think that's important to know. Um, but I think in the U.S., I think uh, there's important d- debates that ha- have happened. And I don't think um, those should be denied. And I think even though it can become rather tribal, I think um, those those debates can be helpful. Uh, I think they can get a, perhaps a little overly political, but that's not necessarily uh, the fault of, of those who are holding those views. I think a lot of that does, un- unfortunately, I think these days come from Rome. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, I think basically I think the best way is to see just um, how sort of orthodox they are and how faithful they are to the magisterium. And I think that that's a key part of this book. In fact, the teaching office of the bishop uh, figures highly in each profile of the of each cardinal because we felt that that is the best um, or one of the best indicators of of where they stand and whether they have what it takes to be pope and whether and what sort of pope they would be yeah we're coming up on the break here in about three minutes but i found that interesting that you chose the the trifold office of of, of bishop in imitation of christ right so like priest prophet and king to sort of divide mm. the summaries um I guess if you wanted to speak more about that or, or the, the inspiration of that, instead of sort of just listing off, um, you know, this is what they've done and this is who likes them. Uh, you really did try to incorporate what can be known about them in terms of uh, priest, prophet, and king in that regard. That's right. Yes. We, we divided each, uh, each profile is divided up into those three offices, the teaching office, uh, the governing office, and the sanctifying office of a bishop. Um, and I think through those three areas, you get a sense of of really uh, how they how they have been as a bishop and what what priorities are there for for them and what what they find is most important to them um, and of course we we begin with the sanctifying office because that's really to do with the liturgy and of course the worship of God is is essential and should be central and the most important thing and then from that we go to the governing office and then the teaching office um, but all of them are important. And as I say, I think the teaching office perhaps gives the best indication. Well, we're, we're, like I said, the, the, it's it's something where I think if people come to a book thinking about like, okay, well, we're talking about what could happen. Um, the The best way I can describe the book is it's absolutely the opposite of gossip. And I want to commend your book exactly on that regard, because <laughs> I know when people think about Cardinal watching and Pope watching, 
that's what starts to be worried is what is the word on the street, but precisely the idea of trying to go through the history of how, um, how the Cardinals came about with their role in the, the, the election. And then to talk about each Cardinal in terms of that, trying to break it down into the, t- the, the trifold office and what that could mean for people, I think will be immensely helpful. We're coming up on the break. And when we get back, I'm hoping that we can also start to pivot and talk about how not only the role of the Cardinals and the Pope, but the role of people like you, um, Edward, who, who, who provide this sort of information to the cardinal electorates, to, to people in general, what is the role in which uh, this sort of um, ability in, the, in, the, in our world to talk about information, to greatly uh, transmit it across all sorts of borders plays into the common good, the theme of our show? I think that that starts to be an interesting question about the role of information. People talk a lot about how they blame the the media on all sorts of stuff and they, it's just a blanket uh, condemnation, especially uh, mm-hmm. now that we have COVID and things like this happening in the United States. I'm sure this is everywhere in the world. People, when they run out of sort of arguments to make say, well, the media did blank. So the idea of using media well, and hopefully books exactly like this um, can either change the tide or be an example of that. Um, I think that, that we start to ask what the common good what this has to do with the common good. And that's what we're hoping to do when we get to the next part of our show. This is the uncommon good Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. We're speaking with Edward Pitton, uh, who uh, Rome correspondent, but also the author of the new book, the next Pope. We're going to be talking about that when we get back from the break. So stick around. We'll be back right after these messages. Folks, if you want to keep up with The Uncommon Good or everything going on with Iowa Catholic Radio, it's easy to do so. All you have to do is go online and be a part of our social media presence. You can go to our original website, iowacatholicradio.com, where you can listen live wherever you have an internet connection, donate, sign up for newsletters, find out what's going on on air and around the Diocese of Iowa. You can also go to Facebook, type in Iowa Catholic Radio, and you can befriend us and keep up with all the posts that we're doing on Facebook. The same with Twitter, at IA Catholic Radio. You can follow us on Twitter, get all the tweets, and keep up with Iowa Catholic Radio. And finally, you can download the Iowa Catholic Radio app. There, once again, anywhere you have a data connection, you can listen live to the stream. You can also donate there as well and keep up with other aspects of the show, uh, of the station, excuse me. This is The Uncommon Good, and we'll be back right after this. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio's broadcast of Dowling Catholic Sports and Activities is provided by Kemen, a global ingredient manufacturer using science to transform the quality of life for 80% of the world. Kemen is on the leading edge of molecular science, manufacturing more than 500 specialty ingredients for the human and animal health and nutrition, pet food, aquaculture, nutraceutical, food technologies, crop technologies, and textile industries. Kemen strives to sustainably transform the quality of life every day for 80% of the world with their products and services. Kemen, using science to transform the world. Online at Kemen.com. Programming support for Catholic Women Now is provided by Iowa's injury attorney, Fred Haas. For over 30 years, Fred Haas has helped injured Iowans recover financial, physical, and emotional losses from car, truck, and motorcycle accidents, work-related injuries, and injuries due to negligence. Most importantly, providing the professional, personal, and responsive legal counsel that everyone deserves. Fred, double D, Haas, double A, the Des Moines Law Offices of Fred Haas. While we have time... 
Let us do good. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Be Not Afraid is provided by Dream Dirt. Dream Dirt Farm Real Estate and Auction is a licensed and experienced farm brokerage and auction company. Dream Dirt Auctioneers are PRI and CAI certified professional farm marketers and have trained to understand the strategy behind a successful auction or sale. We work to reduce stress and risk for our customers and do not charge advertising fees. Learn more at DreamDirt.com. Dream Dirt Farm and Equipment Auction Services. Farm auctions done right. 515 257 Here's your forecast on Iowa Catholic Radio. We should get fair weather through the afternoon and comfortable temperatures will be in the upper 70s. A few showers moving through overnight down to about 63. A mix of sun and clouds tomorrow, low 80s. Weather is brought to you by Rock Valley Physical Therapy. Outstanding outpatient physical therapy and sports medicine rehabilitation with seven convenient locations in the Des Moines metro and southwest Iowa area. I'm meteorologist Steve Hamilton on Iowa Catholic Radio. We're back with the Uncommon Good. Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr joining you this Wednesday here on Iowa Catholic Radio. Thank you for listening to the show. We're glad to have you with us. Today on the show, we have Edward Pinton who began reporting on the Pope and the Vatican with Vatican Radio before moving on to become the Rome correspondent for the National Catholic Register. He's written for all sorts of publications, but what we're talking about today is his upcoming book, The Next Pope. Edward, thank you for joining the show. Sure, good to be with you. So um, the, the book, as we've talked about at the beginning uh, with the, the first segment of the show, uh, really gets in depth with an introduction, the role of the Cardinals, Cardinal Electric, and the Pope, and then goes into talking specifically about certain candidates uh, that are possible to be the next pope to do information about them. Uh, wonderfully done. And again, uh, thank you for, for manning this work, uh, something that we hope that people can truly use uh, whenever the next conclave happens. One of the interesting things, though, and this is what happens anytime you make a book, the minute you know you, you, you send in the manuscript and then the book is um, made, and then something like the COVID crisis happens <laughs> and, and greatly changes the world. Um, when with what you've been able to ascertain being the Rome correspondent, especially Italy um, hit in a very different way and earlier on in the crisis than the United States. Do you think there's anything about the COVID crisis um, that has shifted what, what we should either expect or imagine what a, what a conclave will look like in the near future? Or are we still too in the middle of what's going on uh, to be able to really see um, a lasting impact on how the church even understands something like having a conclave and electing a, a future pope. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, I think uh, what one thing I think that the the, the pandemic has um, has shown is <clears throat> is that the church. Um, a lot of a lot of people have been concerned about the church's leadership during the uh, the pandemic and the fact that um, perhaps there wasn't the guidance that they wanted and. The, the church very much took the lead from the governments, and rather than um, putting the sacraments first and and really, uh, you know, considering uh, those as as totally essential and 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 needed. And I think there's concern about how that was handled. Coming re- in fact from from Rome at the beginning, and the Italian bishops, and then moving all the way through through to other countries. And I think that's been um, for for quite a lot of people. I think that's been a concern, and that that may affect. Um, things going forward. Pope Francis, in fact, today uh, in his first uh, general audience since the summer break, is actually dealing with this issue and trying to 
to show how um, the church, what the church has to offer is really uh, her social teaching and, and how that needs to be dealt with, how that needs to be applied to, to the pandemic. Um, and that he says the church does not have the expertise for, the, for COVID um, and to, to, to deal with a pandemic as such as this. And so I think there's a certain admission there that, um, that the church perhaps did uh, 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 I don't know, maybe perhaps either some would say went along too much with governments or perhaps others think it didn't do enough. But uh, but anyway, that, that I think will have an effect on it. Um, but beyond that, I don't know. I think a lot of the, in the book, we actually put what each cardinal, pretty much each cardinal has said on the coronavirus and, and how they responded to it. So you get a good idea um, of how they saw this, um, this emergency. And uh, as I say, it's been quite revealing in many different ways, not only about these candidates, but about the church in general. Mm. Yeah, Edward, I came into the Catholic Church in 2007, and I have to be honest, uh, in the early stages of being Catholic, I was surprised at how much um, Catholics still talk about Vatican II, a council you know that we're now half a century removed from. Um, but I think mm. part of it is related to the fact that both John Paul II and Benedict the Sixteenth saw their missions as being in part like an implementation of the council, uh, and there was a certain kind of continuity, I think, between John Paul II and Benedict's pap- papacies. Um, pope Francis, even though he he's the first pope right since the council that didn't participate, it's still very much on his mm. mind. Do you think? Mm that sort of trend is likely to continue with the next Pope where the council will cast a long shadow. And um, either way, what would you like to see as some of maybe like the pastoral emphases of the next Pope? Yes. Well, it's a good question because uh, we we try to go through each Cardinal's um, position on, on the second Vatican council. And of course, uh, those who are more conservative, um, None of them, of course, uh, uh, say, say it's invalid or that it's, it needs to be corrected or so forth. But they do, they do have some concerns about how it's been interpreted. Um, and then there are others, for example, Cardinal uh, Tagle of the Philippines and Cardinal Zuppi of, of Bologna, who are very much, um, very much on Francis's line on the council and almost uh, believe it's 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 almost like a new church that began after the council. There's a rupture almost between what what was before and what is now um, and that there isn't a hermeneutic of continuities as, as Benedict liked to insist. Um, and so it really depends who you look at, but I think um, it's hard to say, of course, whether, where the college will go on this and whether they think there should be some sort of revision of the council or some uh, look at it again. Um, and if, if that sort of narrative picks up, then they may well choose somebody who will, who will do that. And, uh, You've already got people like Cardinal Raymond Burke and Cardinal Robert Serra who might who might do that, but um, I don't know if that's going to happen. I, it's hard to say. It's very hard to say the the way that the the, the Sacred College is going and what sort of uh, what sort of what's the sort of pr- predominant uh, thought and 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 uh, direction that they're going to take. Well, on that note of Vatican II and uh, the sort of repercussions thereof, I mean, part of Vatican II, you, you think about Gaudiumet Spas and, and some of the other uh, documents and then things written after it. There was an emphasis that, okay, if we're going to talk about the church encountering the modern world, we really need to talk about the church and modern media. And of course, back then, 
primarily they have things like, you know, radio uh, had become the sort of new Gutenberg galaxy. Uh, you know, the printing press revolutionized so much. Now mm-hmm. here's radio shortly after television, right, with Vatican II. Like, you know, we get some of the first images of a televised um, council ever. And now we have the Internet, all these things like this. It was an emphasis to talk about the church engaging communication and using modern forms of communication in order to act in, uh, interact with the modern world. But here we are in 2020, and like I said at the, the beginning of uh, the first part of the show, major questions about the role media plays. Is it an influence for good or bad? You know, uh, is it to blame for things? Is it the one thing that keeps uh, truth alive in dark times? The narratives replicate and go on and on. I wonder, though, with your position, Rome correspondent, and then the sort of research uh, that you did with this book, do you get a sense that the church is still not completely wrangled with that question that it was so interested in in the 1960s and 70s, and that there's still an ongoing dialogue about what communication, specifically about the goings-on of the church, what role it plays in the common good of the church? Yes, I think there is still um, that question. I think, obviously, the media has moved very fast since then, and it, a lot of it wasn't, wasn't foreseen. Um, but it's, it's, it's very difficult, I think, for those leading the church to deal with the, with the media as it develops and as it moves fast so fast forward. Um, and I think they're almost always playing catch-up. But uh, I think certainly in recent years, though, the church has got better at it. The Vatican has... Um, has got a little more savvy about how to deal with the media and how to engage with the with the modern world. Um, but whether that's the most effective way, I don't know. And um, sometimes I always feel that the church, when, when she tries to make herself more relevant, actually becomes more irrelevant um, because she has to be uh, a sort of counter, countercultural and offer something um, which is not actually of this world but, but points to the next. And I don't think she always does that probably the most effective way uh, that she can. Right. I wonder, I, I mean, I think specifically that what, what, what it seems like the conversations were pointing to at the time was like, Oh, things that like Maximilian Colby did when he like made a radio station or, you, you know, they, they have uh, an ideal in mind about um, what it might look like if the church could take the reins of communication. Uh, but then, you know, we start to throw out, you know, old, jokes about uh you know the old vatican website and how long must it yeah. take for a modem to go online in italy and, and jokes like this uh, you know that that starts to be the interesting question is um we of course don't need to go gregory the 16th and act like you know the internet's bad just like streetlights were but certainly to have a conversation that sort of entails um all of those difficulties um, I, it's like you said, it's, it's not a matter of being relevant. It's about getting down to the root of the thing and asking what is modern communication and what would it mean for the church to take it, the reins of modern communication in a way appropriate to her role in the world? Yes. Yes. Well, I think also, I mean, one hears quite a lot here in Rome and other places now that, um, what's needed is really a return, as you say, to the fundaments and to the, to the, really the roots of the faith in order to to evangelize more effectively and to and that means through the media and that means through better liturgies through more um putting obviously god and christ at the center and not um and not mankind as it were and putting making the church 
more vertical rather than horizontal, as it were, and, and getting things back into balance and back into um, to the worship of God above all. And then, then evangelization will come from that. Um, and I think that's what one's hearing more and more now, whether it's going back to tradition or, or just a more reverent liturgy, that, that often is um, seen to be what, what could be crucial in terms of communicating the faith better. And another thing I think also is the fact that there's been so many uh, disputes, internal church disputes over the past few years, that's kind of distracted and detracted from, from evangelization and effective evangelization through the, through the media. Often it's not always been very, uh, very pretty, uh, and I think that's, that's, uh, that's affected the church's communications as well. So, so there's these, all these different areas, I think, which, um, which perhaps the next point we'll look into. As someone very interested in these topics, I was grateful that you included um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of information about where the different potential candidates stand with respect to the liturgy. And I know you, mm. you touched on that a bit with your last comment, but I was wondering if you could say more about that, specifically related to um, the church's transmission of our liturgical tradition. So to put this kind of concretely, like if, um, if one of the populi uh, that you identify, if they've like publicly celebrated the extraordinary form, you think that's a mark against them in some eyes? Is it possible that a future pope would do so. Um, could you could you say more about like um, what you found out as you researched these candidates with respect to their stances on the liturgy? Sure. Yeah. Well, I find I mean we put that in really just because it's we thought readers would find that interesting whether just how friendly they are perhaps to the old mass, the extraordinary form, and you know how much they they value a more reverent liturgy or whether they they prefer the more innovative kinds. And it does seem to be the case that those who are uh, uh, friendly to the to the old right, uh, uh, you know, are quite sound on church's teaching, and there's very little questionable about them and about that. Um, whereas those who who do have a more loose interpretation of the liturgy and have um, perhaps abused it in the past, and unfortunately, Cardinal Christoph Schönborn is is one of those who who has um, had uh, rather dubious liturgies in the past. They they tend to have to be rather more, um, uh, let's say hard to pin down on their theology and a little bit more um, uh, unclear and ambiguous. And so uh, that that does seem to play a role. But uh, the thing about this book is, though, we, we don't actually make any judgments. We just lay it out there. So you can see where they stood on the liturgy, and you can see where they, where they stand on, on church yeah. teaching. And, and then you can make up your own mind. We don't say, well, because they've, they supported the extraordinary form, then, then, then they are like this or like that. Um, those are the only conclusions that I've made, but uh, but the reader's free to make up their own mind uh, whether they think um, what they've decided and their judgments are correct and, and right. Well, Edward, we're getting ready. Uh, we're getting sort of the last part of the show. So um, what I wanted to maybe, you know, land on, uh, we've been grateful to have you on and talk about your book. Um, when When it comes to informing people like you said you, you, your book's not about making predictions the hope is not only to inform of course the people who are going um, into the conclaves but like you said so there could be a, a wide understanding about what's going on and that you know the, the prayers can be um can had and, and, and people can maybe have a, a, an informed idea about what's going on and what to pray for 
I go back to, like you pointed out, the sort of historical precedent for this, that in the Middle Ages, if there was, you know, uh, rumors that got started, that it was actually information that could quell the rumors and then maybe have a a fair shot for people, the the cardinals to go into the conclave uh, with a clear mind and and know what's going on. Um, I think that that's always going to be a sort of struggle, uh, not only with any human institution, but particularly the church is, uh, you know, we don't believe in things like detraction. We, we have examinations of conscience about, um, you know, even murmuring in our hearts against, uh, against others. But, but that has to be weighed with making sure that the truth can be known as best as possible so that people can um, make informed decisions, not like you said, necessarily the laity, but especially those who go into the conclave. For, for Catholic listeners who have the most information not all, of course, most of it not even true, but the most information at their ready through the internet. Uh, as someone who's involved in that field, do you have any sort of spiritual tips or any conclusions or insights you've come to about the best way we can faithfully consume this 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 glut of information uh, for the sake of the church, keeping in mind um, that our prayers really do help support our pastors. Uh, and 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 going forward, trying to to go about this glut of information in a holy and charitable way. Yes, well, I think it's always important to look at the sources to make sure that whatever you do read, that um, they're not coming from uh, a distinctly um, heterodox uh, position, or vice versa. They're becoming they've become too. Uh, too much from the other side, which uh, which which can get out of balance as well. I think it's very important to get a balanced um, interpretation of events and and try to perhaps read for a variety of, of publications and then um, process it yourself and and make up your own mind. But I I do think it's always important to look at trusted sources and those who who basically rely on facts and don't really um, interpret what the facts too much. They let the reader decide, and that's that I. That's always been my favourite approach because I don't think um, I don't think it's our job in the media really to tell people what to think. I think people are well certainly capable of thinking for themselves and and making up their own minds if they're equipped with enough information and enough knowledge to do that. And uh, certainly, there's no shortage of information. It, it is a it is a challenge to process it all. But I think if one goes to a few trusted uh, sources and a trusted sites so i think it's possible and um and i hope this book is along that line too and that uh, that when we're not coming from um a particularly uh, in any way political um position we simply are laying out the facts um laying out in 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 the light of church teaching and in the, in the light of the magisterium um and you can make up your mind whether they are um uh, wake up your mind whether these people are, as you know, capable of being pope or not, and and also whether you know it'll be catechetical too and help you un- understand the faith more. I hope um, just by reading the book and by understanding these issues. Well, we really appreciate the uh, the chance to get to talk to you about the new book. It's been wonderful to talk to you. Can you uh, make sure to not only pitch the new book, but if people want to follow your work and uh, get get their information, like you said, the importance of information, get their information from you, where are places that they can go look you up and uh, read some of these sources and uh, keep abreast of what's going on in Rome? 
Sure. Well, the book's available uh, from Sophia Institute Press. That's uh, sophiainstitute.com. And uh, all my work is, is, uh, is on the National Catholic Register's website, which is at uh, www.ncregister.com. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, and uh, we appreciate it. Uh, good luck with the book, and uh, yeah, keep safe out there. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Edward Penton, reporter uh, for the National Catholic Register, but then also, like we said, the new book that we've been talking about this show, The Next Pope with Sophia uh, Press, uh, Sophia Institute Press. Make sure to go look that up. Uh, Bud, uh, you know, the the joke, I think, when you look at a book (laughs) called The Next Pope is that, like, we should start taking uh, bets. I, I start thinking too much of sports since we've missed it too much, right? Like, uh, like, are you going to seed them? Are you going to do like a 64 tournament? Are you going to talk about odds? Um, but I think it's edifying for people to think about not gossip wise, who's going to be Pope, but how do we prayerfully engage, uh, with the process, uh, when that day comes? Yeah. And in an interview like that, but I have to be honest, I'm always tempted to just say like, so who's it going to be? <laughs> and, like, <laughs> you, you and I can, you and I can talk after the show's over, but I, you know, sometimes my comedic wavelength doesn't transfer well on air. And right. I forget, I couldn't quite peg Edward's accent, but he, he might be from Australia. I, I don't know. So I think it's probably best that I didn't just pose that point blank. That's right. Yeah, that's a good point that uh, maybe, um, you know, 40-something American humor might be lost on the rest of the world. So uh, <laughs> probably a prudent decision there too, But Well, folks, this is The Uncommon Good. Thank you for listening to the show. May Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, reign in our hearts and our families, our city, our state, our nation, the world, the solar system, the galaxy, the whole kitten caboodle. This is the uncommon good, and we'll be back next week. But if people want to be a part of the spiritual uh, endeavors of Iowa Catholic Radio and make sure to pray with us, let them know when they can join us in doing so. Yeah, I think a big takeaway from the interview today is uh, to be deeply immersed in prayer for uh, the church, both at a local and global level. You can do that with us. We pray the rosary daily on air at 5.30 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 9.30 p.m. There's also the Angelus in the morning at 6, and all of those prayer opportunities are available at any time um, on the Iowa Catholic Radio app. And folks, it's important to realize that Iowa Catholic Radio is more than just the pretty voices that you hear online. It's more than the people, the the, the pretty faces behind the boards back there. Shout out to you, Jimmy. Uh, it's more than the very helpful people that are running the offices. It also includes you. Your prayers, your intentions, your uh, comments, you're letting us know how things are going on, but also your donations make it possible for this ministry to reach folks through walls, across states, over the internet, 24-7 a day. Uh, this this is a special place, and we, we consider you a part of our family uh, and part of the ministry, and we want to thank you for doing that. So please keep up your prayers, your well wishes, your comments, and your donations. Remember, like Bud said, when you can go pray with us, uh, but also um, if you are able, especially during the difficulties that COVID has brought on most nonprofits, Uh, To keep us in mind with your donations, you can donate on iowacatholicradio.com, on the Iowa Catholic Radio app. And, of course, you can always call 515-223-1150 to talk to someone about sending your donation. But we want to say thank you um, for all that you've done, all your consideration, all your prayers, all your donations. 
Uh, it means a lot to Bud and I, and it means a lot to everyone on uh, the station. Thank you for being a part of this ministry. Well, Bud, you got any great plans for what you're going to do with the beautiful day out there in Pittsburgh? Well, funny enough, I've got a good friend visiting from Michigan, so looking forward to seeing him. And uh, a quick plug, on Monday, I'm recording my conversion story for the Coming Home Network. So hopefully um, soon here on EWTN, you'll be able to see that. I'll try to mention on air where it will be available. That's fantastic. Well, bud, God bless. Have a good week. This is the Uncommon Good. Folks, we'll see you next Wednesday. The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr is heard every week on wonderful Catholic stations like this one and anytime on podcast. Just search for The Uncommon Good.